We're continuing where we left off uh, with the thought of the week and prayer. It is March 1st, 2020, and we'll continue with the thought of the week. Thought of the week. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, you who once were far away have, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Take it from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. God the Father was able to bring us near through the work of Christ. There were so many things accomplished through the work of Christ, like salvation, justification, reconciliation, and redemption. Of course, those things are a natural result of the blood of Christ for anyone in the human race, whenever they live. These verses and questions do not make salvation the prominent accomplishment of the work of Christ. Here, the focus is on the glorious body which is created from Jews and Gentiles. The one new man created in Christ Jesus is the real subject of the context. How many look at this passage have not gone far enough to focus on the things which are just beyond salvation? To stop at salvation is like falling to a door and not looking around in the house. The door may be glorious, but it serves as the entryway into the house. The purpose of the door is to get us into the house. Once in the house, we are not to forget the door. In this analogy, the door is Christ. As he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And shall not go in and out and find pastors. Take it from John chapter 10, verse 9. Have you considered what's in the house? Have your studies that you... Sorry, excuse me. I was getting to keep cutting off. I don't know why. Take your time. Take your time, Dave. I hate that when you're reading it, it just cut off. Okay. Okay, you know, what was that? Let me stop. Um, by the door, maybe glory. But it serves as an entryway into the house. The purpose of the door is to get us into the house. Once in the house, we are not to forget the door. In this analogy, the door is Christ. As he said, I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved. And shall go and shall go in and out and find paths. Take it from John chapter 10, verse 9. Have you considered what is in the house? Have your studies led you beyond the doctrines of salvation? We must admire it as bold that determination to sacrifice itself for us can only leave us with so much for us that we are never to begin him. We ought to keep him fresh in 
Jeremiah. Many don't really know his accomplishments. Take the time to see what the Bible says about Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill you with the knowledge and understanding about Christ's work, especially on your behalf. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and make it make it known to you. Take it from John chapter 16, verse 14. Understand the benefits and the plan of God through Christ. This will enrich your spiritual life and help your love for Christians for Christ mature. I think it comes out of this passage though, and I thought that we the question is the one new man. We knew though of us who've been studying the old man is in Adam, but once you believe in Christ, you're considered the new. The new man. You are considered a new spiritual creation, a new spiritual being. So all the benefits we get for what the work of Christ did on our behalf should make us think about the sacrifice he went through and how the Father was pleased. So when it says that we were far, we were once far away, and now we're brought near by the blood of Christ, it also to focus on what Christ did on our behalf and how the Father was satisfied with Christ. And now he's bringing the Jews and Gentiles into one body into the church. So that's what I get from the thought of the week. Take it from this passage on March the 1st, 2020. All right, thank you, Dave. And I will offer a prayer on behalf of the church. Of course, I'll be praying for the church, our families, <coughs> extended families, and um, you know, the, the church worldwide as well. Does anybody have anything specific they would like to add on to that? Yeah, I would like to add, uh, we have a new birth in the family. It's a little girl. Her name is Tyla. And um, it's uh, it's our nephew's uh, wife's son or daughter rather. Her name is Tyla. She was born when was she born? Uh, last Tuesday or Wednesday, I believe. So, asking for a prayer for her and the family. Two twenty four. Ah, twenty the twenty fourth. Two twenty four. Thanks. Thanks. Mm. And what I can see by my ex-wife is my daughter came up yesterday to see the mother because I think she was having a feeding too, but somehow now that she was having difficulties with it, but my daughter <laughs> had been laughing saying that as soon as they got there, the mother threw them out and told them to go back. So we're going to keep her in prayer and make, and make God's face look over her and so whatever she's going through. Mm. Okay. All right, let's bow our heads before God. Dear Father, there is always an opportunity every moment of every day to offer prayer for thanks and supplication. And at this time, we come before you um, with those thoughts in mind and in our hearts. We want to pray for all of the people on this call, all of the Truth Church. Um, even the ones that are not on this call and any affiliation to anyone um, who is associated with the church, as well as our families and extended families.
would watch over them, keep them in your heart, and, and keep pulling them toward you. Um, call to the unsaved so that they may be saved and have salvation, and call to the ones who are saved that they may grow wiser and more mature and, and deeper in the knowledge of the truth. And we also pray for anyone who is, who is suffering in this world, um, especially as uh, the news now is talking about the spread of coronavirus. Um, but at the same time, there's still other diseases and disasters going on in the world, and we ask that you would um, preserve those who would be faithful to you. And, um, and use us as instruments of your plan as well. It's a, a wonderful and amazing promise that you have given us that we can ask anything in your name and be a part of that uh, wonderful master plan. We also praise with thanksgiving and, and um, um, just acknowledgement of the new life that you bring into the world, the new birth that occurred just on the 24th, Tyler. And uh, let that be a reminder to all of us that birth is happening all the time, whether it's in the flesh, according to water, or whether it's being born in the spirit. And I pray that um, our eyes and hearts would be open to your wisdom as you guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Dwight. And thank you, Dave, too. Um, we are going to move right into... Uh, John fourteen fifteen. Uh, hopefully you have some notes before you how we're sent out. John fourteen fifteen says simply, if you love me, keep my commands. That's a very short and simple verse. It seems uh, I've written a lot about it, so we want to talk about what that verse means. Uh, so. In your notes, you have these words. Here is a verse that helps us understand that God wants our hearts, not simply our obedience. I could program a robot to do exactly what I command. However, I cannot program a robot to obey me because it loves me. Since we have free will, love is a choice, and with it comes our obedience. With all the enhancements and technology we have today, computers cannot love us. After all, computers do what someone has programmed them to do. God hopes that we will come to love him through the understanding of his will. Then we will want to follow him. So we're going to take this verse in two phrases. The first phrase, if you love me. So we're, we're going to look at that one first. Given the context, if here is saying, maybe we will or maybe we will not love you. Right? We have the choice. If you love me, meaning maybe you will love him, maybe, but it bears on your volition. It really does. Especially given the context, which is the fact that uh, the disciples refused to believe what Jesus said. So, it is what we would call a third class, a, a third class condition for that word. If there are four 
instances of what if can mean. Just to give you another one, if and is true, right? So that would mean since. But in this case, it is maybe it's true, maybe it's not. And it depends on our will and choice. Another one, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So if there is a, a, the same class condition here is maybe you will confess your sins, maybe you will not confess your sins. If you do, here are the consequences. Next point uh, is love is a choice that can only come from a free will agent. So there was uh, a couple analogies. I, mean, I talked about how computers can't love us. And uh, I took it upon myself to ask Siri and Alexa uh, if they loved me. <laughs> so when I did that, they both gave me answers that were different. And uh, I could do it now. Watch this. Hey, Siri. Do you love me? Well, I enjoy spending quality time with you. Echo, do you love me? I don't have human love figured out quite yet. <laughs> so, so one said she, she, she enjoys spending time with me. And the other one said, I don't have human love quite figured out yet. I just thought it was an exercise a little bit just to understand that somebody programmed those responses into these personal, what we call personal assistants, Siri and Alexa or Echo. Someone programmed that response in. That's not a response given free will. It is a response that literally somebody had to write and put it in there so that when I ask the question, that triggers that response. That is not a free will thing going on there. Love is a choice. And it can only come from a free will agent. And the fact that we have free will is huge. We choose to love, to give our love, or not. So love is a choice. I just want us to make sure we understand that. And as servants or you know slaves, it is not a choice if we are obligated to love. If God were to say, uh, if you love me, you can be saved, that would be different. Because then that would put us under obligation to love him in order for us to have salvation from a desperate situation. That's not the case. Love is a choice. And salvation is by grace, not of works. It's not by choosing to love him that we, begin, we become saved. It is by faith, through, uh, by grace, through faith. Let's keep going. Point C, there are some prerequ prerequisites of love. And I just pointed out some here. And some of them have other words that you might think go in. But uh, I'm just pointing out some words that I think fit. What are the prerequisites of love? Now, the word here is agape. I don't think I have to go into too much definition there. As most people know the word agape. But that is the word that is used for love in our passage. So the first one is trust. Second, understanding. 
third agreement and then love. We can have love. So we said love is a choice, right? And that only can come from free will agents. So there, there are some things here related to it. And we're going to go through those things. But before we do, the next thought is when love, when love for God is the subject, it's related to God's will and obedience. Now, there are some passages of scripture that we should look at before we get into what those things are. So the first is <clears throat> Matthew 15. Let's go there. So Matthew 15, uh, let's see what that says. Wait a minute. Okay, yeah, Matthew 15, 8. It says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So, again, even though it doesn't mention love here, it mentions honor. And it just shows that there can be a difference between what people say and what's in their heart. So that bears on what we're talking about because we said love is a choice and God wants our heart here. He does not just want us to blindly obey. He says, just like we, I gave the analogy with the Siri and Alexa, we can see that those things are written in. If God is not impressed, and I'm not impressed, even if one of those devices came back and said, I love you, Doug, that I wouldn't be impressed because I knew and I already know that someone has written those responses in. They're not from a free will agent. So Matthew 15, 8 says, people can have duplicitous uh, ways, right? They could say out of their lips one thing, but in their heart, have something else. Jesus understood that. That was not a surprise to him. He wasn't fooled by that. Luke 6.46 says, I don't want to go quickly through these verses, says, uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? And do not do what I say. So again, Jesus is recognizing that people can have a heart where they even laud him, Lord. And a Lord means master, right? I'm the one you're supposed to do what I, what I say. And yet, people will call him Lord, but when it comes to doing what he says, they won't do it. See, so what we're seeing is responses from free will agents. Right? Free will agent could say, no, I don't love you. Or, or you are Lord, but, but I won't do what you say. So it just shows our freedom to make choices. Jesus is pointing that out. And then there's uh, John 14, 31, where we'll give a positive example of Jesus. Let's turn to that one. This is our chapter. Jesus says, but he comes, he's talking about uh, the, the, the prince of this world coming. He has no hold over Jesus, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So this is Jesus in, heading out from uh, the upper room and to the Garden of Gethsemane. And 
these are this this is part of the closing comment that he made. He says, "Come now, let us leave." But that love follow is follow, followed with obedience. Now, we're going to get to some of the uh, understanding of how that works. So let's try to dig into this. If you love me, what does it mean to love him? What do you need in order for that? And I did five points here. Hopefully we can get something from these. One is trust. In order for us to learn from God, it requires humility. Humility is teachability in this respect. Right? doesn't mean we believe everything God says, but it means we're open to hearing what God says. And, and, and I call it trust, because if you don't have trust or humility, teachability towards someone, you don't trust them, then you're not going to let them teach you. In fact, you will resist every time they say something, whether it agrees or disagrees with what you say. You don't trust them. And even if it agrees with what you say, you think they're trying to trap you, maybe. You're thinking they, they mean you no good, so that you don't trust them. So teachability and trust, or faith in him. Right? So John 14, 1, it takes us back to that scripture. This is what Jesus said to the disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So in other words, that what Jesus was telling them were things that disagreed with their theology. So Jesus is saying, listen, you guys need to trust me like you trust God. Right? Do you believe in God and you come to certain conclusions as a result of that? Well, you need to see me in that position as God, telling you these things and you need to believe them. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, he can't make them believe. He can only encourage them to believe so trust is important then there's hebrews eleven six. it says without faith it is impossible to please god for the one who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him he, he rewards us according to our faith we trust we we rely on him and he's there, for real. So God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So those couple, just a couple of scriptures to demonstrate trust, how important it is. The disciples didn't trust Christ when it came to uh, something that they didn't have formally uh, believe, or they didn't formally believe in uh, under their theology in Israel. Christ is saying, you got to trust me. Listen, I'm telling you this, trust me. Believe in me. You believe in God? Believe also in me. So it's a matter of trust. Right? It says, otherwise we will not believe him and cannot get to love. If we don't have trust, we'll never get to love. Because we will always be questioning everything that is said, and we won't trust what is said as coming from God. So trust is essential to understanding. Right? So it takes some growing in grace or knowledge before we can choose to agree and love. Because if you say, whatever you say, I believe. Whatever you say, I trust you, whatever, implicitly. Well, love is more than that. Love is not just blind obedience. 
Love has to do with understanding. If you don't know what the Father's plan is, if you don't understand it, then you can't love it. So, so you can't agree to it if you don't understand it. So these are things that are prerequisites to coming to understand and agree what love is. So first we trusted the source of the information, which for us the source is the Word of God. I would hope <laughs> you trust the Word of God as your source. Uh, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. If you want to know what the reality of God is, it is the word of God for us. So when we read it in context in the word, that confirms it for me that that's truth. So you got to understand it. Right? Understand the Father's plan. Now here we would talk about the fact that God made a change in plan. Right? He, he went from Israel to the church. And he signaled it by signs, wonders, and miracles. He didn't just say, okay, I'm making a change, so everybody has to believe it. No, he first sent Christ, to, you know, who was the Messiah to Israel. They obviously did reject him. Some did. Most did. But Christ did signs, wonders, and miracles to prove, to demonstrate that he was speaking for God. And then... The apostles, as Jesus prepared the, the disciples for what was coming next, the apostles did signs, wonders, and miracles after Pentecost to also direct people and their understanding to this new direction of God. People would know that uh, this is the direction that God is going now. He is, we are not to look at Israel as the way. Uh, we have a new plan and a new uh, inauguration of the church. So that was important. Understanding is key. If you don't understand, then you can't grow up and you can't come to love what you don't know. You can't agree with what you don't know. And when we said it's a choice, it's a choice we make, we have to, uh, it's, it's a choice of agreement. We'll get to that next point, number three agreement. Once we learn from God, we have, we have to reason with him to come to agreement. Right? We have to uh, kick it around a little bit. Right? Just because you heard the word does not mean you believe it. Uh, I use the gospel as an example. The gospel requires that we submit to hearing, trust, understanding. Right? We know what Christ did. We understand that he's the savior of the world. And uh, we've been in Romans chapter 7 recently, toward the end, uh, on Wednesdays, and we came to see how a person comes on to Christ from the inside perspective, how God the Holy Spirit works in their heart, brings them to a point where they realize, what a wretched man I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, right? So that understanding went on, where Paul came to understand he was lost, and then he was able to see Christ. I thank God through my Lord, Jesus Christ. Right, so it's like it requires we submit to hearing, understanding, and then believing. Agreement is a part of faith, but an important step in love. See, because just because you heard the word, the point that you agree with it means 
that you have adopted it into your heart. You trust that it, the information is true. The first trust was about uh, being able to hear, right? Just opening up and saying, "Okay, God, teach me. Tell me what what do you want? What do you want me to know?" And and seeing God, seeing that information as valid, right? Then we have to understand it. Well, did we did we get the message that he un, that he gave us? Then third, we have to agree with it, right? We have to say. I'm giving my will. I'm assenting to this, that this is true. I believe it. This is what we're saying. I trust that this information is true. And then four. Four says love. Right? That's what comes when we are able now to love. It's a choice to commit to another. And this is just a definition I came up with. It's a choice to commit to another body, soul, and spirit. When it is related to God, the commitment is to his will, purpose, his plan. Now, there's a couple of scriptures to this, right? Where, when I say it's, well, I get this, I should have included the scripture that made me come up to that definition, which is, if we were to love God, we would love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. I should have throw, thrown that in there. Maybe you could throw it in your notes. But... That is the idea. It's not only a commitment, but it's a commitment of our whole selves to God. That's love. So we have to agree with it. We have to understand it. And we have to trust God in order, who is the source of truth right, and reality for us. So there's a couple of scriptures that speak of this. So John 14, 15 is the one we're saying, right? The one we're in. If you love me, Keep my commands. We have the ability to love. And then there's verse 24, which says, anyone who does not love me, well, what will happen? What will happen? Will he just not have any affection toward me or any emotion toward me? No, it's not about that at all. He will not obey my teaching. So that goes back to the will, purpose, and plan. The teaching is relative to the Father's will, purpose, and plan. And if you don't love me, you won't obey that because you don't agree with that. So these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. I think we've been reading that verse almost every week. <laughs> it's such an important verse in the way we understand uh, the context. So that love is a choice, right? And then uh, in verse 31, obviously, you saw, but he... He comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what uh, my Father has commanded me. Love is tied to the will, purpose, and plan of God. It's not just, oh, I love the Father. Well, that can be just like Jesus says. They, they love me, but they don't do what I say. They say they love me. They don't do what I say. They say I'm Lord, right? With their lips they speak, but in their heart is far from me. So, and then there's Ephesians 3. This is love in action in our age here. I just want to turn to this. Ephesians 3. So this is the Apostle Paul who understands the mystery. In verse 2 he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Well, what is that, Paul? That is the mystery, 
made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And then he goes on and talks about it. Then he says in verse 8, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace has been given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And this is Paul understanding someone who understands the message and embraces it in love. This is what it causes him to think, right? So he says, uh, it's his objective to fulfill the Father's plan for him, which is he has made him the apostle to the Gentiles, right? It says, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And then it says, and to make plain to everyone. So beyond Gentiles, I'm here for God so that I agree with the plan and I love the plan. And I want to make it plain to everyone. The administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, right? And then it says, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have Paul just articulating what love is, what his responsibility is to God's eternal purpose. He says, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to make this information known. I'm going to preach uh, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make it plain not only to the Gentiles, but to everyone who, who I come in contact with. So that's love. That's how it works. So point number five, we're moving forward. Obedience without love is nothing. When I say nothing, I mean, a person might say, obedience is still good, right? Obedience. In this context, when we're talking about loving God, uh, it doesn't mean anything. I want to read 1 Corinthians, uh, first three verses. Uh, uh, this is what we have termed the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> this is what it says. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love. Now notice the difference here. You, you can do all those things, but you do not have love. What is the result? I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm just making a lot of noise. Just like Jesus said earlier, with their mouths, they're saying one thing, but their hearts, they're far from me. That don't mean nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Point, uh, verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can phantom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, here it is, I am nothing. It doesn't mean anything. This is where I got the obedience without love is nothing. And then three, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So it is obviously important that we do obey from the standpoint of love. Obedience 
must come from love for it to mean something. And he gave all these elaborate examples, exaggerated examples. If I do all this, if I do that, if I do this, and if I don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. So, last point, if you love me here, and it's really not the last point, but for today, I said to note, there are other ways love is used in Scripture. And we, we do want to recognize that. Obviously, I'm using love in a very uh, strict context. There is love, friendship love. There's romantic love. There's about four or five different ways love is used in Scripture. But uh, we're talking about the agape love as it relates to God. So our subject is the love for God. And so that's something we should recognize and somebody might say, well, love doesn't answer everything. No, it's not trying to answer everything. I'm trying to answer what this verse means in the context in which it is written. All right, so some people may say, okay, keep my commands. This is the second phrase. Let's look at the second phrase now. Keep, if you love me, keep my commands. So I could ask, what commands? The Ten Commandments? The Mosaic Law? Answer is no, not that. So if we wanted to take this out of context, we could say that the commands or the commandments are the Ten Commandments. We could say they're the whole Mosaic Law. We should be obedient. Maybe we might pick some things out of the Mosaic Law that we like. And we say, oh, well, uh, keep my commands refers to those things that we like. The rest of them, well, those we don't like. We, it's not referring to those. So... Again, that's subjective. It's not about that. And the context that we've been developing over these 14 verses that we have gone through would not suggest that these commands are the Mosaic Law. Let's get into more of what that means. Point B. Context is about <clears throat> new information. That's what it's about. And what the disciples were required to do was a choice on their part, and that choice was to believe it. Okay? And so if we look at what's before this verse and what's after it, that'll give us a little bit about the context. So here, uh, the before is taken from three verses, verses 9 through 11, and this is just part of it. Uh, don't you know me? Right? That's one, that's nine, ten. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This is not the Mosaic Law, first of all. <laughs> believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, right? Or else believe on the evidence of the works themselves. That's not the Mosaic Law. That is far <laughs> deeper concept than the Mosaic Law. And, if, and in fact, this was not found in the Mosaic Law at all. So we can depart from that and just focus on Jesus is telling them something specific and he's telling them to keep commands. And we'll see later there's going to be results of them keeping these commands. So, uh, so the after, what's after this? The next verse says, and... I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you 
forever. That's John. That's the very next verse in verse 16. Uh, so it refers to Pentecost, right? If you love me, keep my commands, and right, I will ask the Father. He will give you another counselor or advocate to help you and be with you forever. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about Pentecost. So obviously this is in the context of Pentecost, the church, right? not Israel. The new things he was introducing to them is about the church. It's not about Israel. So it's important for us to not lose focus here when it says keep commands. Well, that means keep, keep all his commands, any commands. Uh, just be good, be moral. No, I mean, not saying you shouldn't be moral, but I'm saying here, in order to get what is being said, you have to focus on the context so you can not miss what was really about to happen here regarding the church. Point C, for us to be obedient in this age, we must know the Father's will, purpose, and plan for the church, not Israel. And again, I refer you back to John 14, 1. It says, you believe in God, believe also in what I'm getting ready to tell you. Believe in me. Really, this is coming from God the Father. So you just haven't heard it before. Believe also, in, you believe in God, believe also in me. I, and the Father's in me telling you these things right now. So it's not, it's not about Israel. But notice, we have to know the Father's will, purpose, and plan. That comes with those things we talked about earlier. We have to trust the source, right? We have to understand what is being said. We have to agree with it. And we have to love it, right? That's a choice in committing our mind, soul, mind, body, right? Spirit, everything that we are is now in agreement with this. And we're on the side of love. So, Loving is not only just saying I agree with God. Loving is saying I'm on this side. This is in my heart now. Like Jesus said, with their mouths they honor me, but their hearts far from me. Loving it means it's in your heart. It is the way you think. It's the it's what you want. It's not just what God wants. It's what you want too. You agree with God. So, so that's point <clears throat> C. Let's move forward. Point D, what preparation did the disciples need to be the apostles in the church? And if you look at, if you love me, right, then you will you know, keep my commands. <clears throat> what did they believe? It's simply um, to believe Jesus, right? That was, don't you believe? Believe me. Jesus detected that they didn't believe what he said. They were asking questions like, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? We don't know the way. And not only that, they were like, well, the Father, we don't know the Father. How can we know? Show us the Father. Then we'll know, we'll be satisfied if you show us. All the teaching Jesus had given them, they didn't believe it. Whenever it came to something that they didn't believe, they just put that aside. It's like people... When they say they eat fish with bones, what do they do? They eat carefully and they take the parts they like. They carefully put the bones aside. When it came to, to this information, the disciples set that aside. So finally Jesus called them on it. He said, look, 
I've been telling you this stuff. Believe me when I tell you. If you don't believe me, you know I've been doing these miraculous signs and wonders. You know this comes from God. If you don't understand it, at least you know God is the one telling you this information. At least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. I understand where the disciples were coming from. I get it. New things are hard for us to adopt. That's our religious mentality. But we have to be open to God, to wherever he leads. It is not about us leading uh, us to wherever we think is we should be. It is the Holy Spirit leading us to, into all truth. So point D, let's move forward. What preparation did the disciples need for the, uh, to be the apostles in the church? What preparation did they need? And we said to believe Jesus' words and commands. And there's one scripture, John 15, that reminds me of this. 15 and 7 says, If you remain in me, this is the vine and the branches analogy. If you remain in me, and notice, it's not just abiding in Christ. What does it mean? And my words remain in you. Right? That's keep my commands. That's the same thing. His words remain in us, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, it's interesting that uh, Jesus said that earlier in our context. He says, you should know that you can ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you, right? He says, this is, this is what he says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So here we have the same context in John 15, 7, where he says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So we now, we were talking about this earlier, have a place of contribution in the church age. Our will. Right? So I, li I like what Philippians said. Uh, I'm going to turn to Philippians right now. Philippians chapter 2 says it like this. Um, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Right? That God and your will and God's will together causes us to help God fulfill his good purpose. That's an amazing thought uh, as we think about that. So back to our context here. So um, that's the preparation the disciples needed uh, to keep those words in their heart. And, 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 and that way, that's keeping my commands in context. What is the result of them keeping his commands? What's the result of that? In other words, look, let's look at the context. John 14, 18 through 20. Let's go back to John. 14, 18 through 20. What is the result of them keeping his commands? Uh, 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. Remember earlier he said, I'm going away. And where I'm going right now, you can't come. And Peter objected. This is in 13. And said, oh, why can't we come? What's going on with that? And Jesus says, well, you can come later, but you can't come now. And then he gets into 14. I'm going there to prepare a place for you and so forth. 
So 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Explain that a little bit more. On that day, what day is that? Pentecost. You will realize that I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. Those are the dynamics of the church age. Those things are the result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. This, this is what Jesus was saying. He says, now, if they keep his commands, keep his words, right? This is what is being said, right? Here in this verse, this is what the result of that would be, that they would be ushered into the church age. Jesus would ask the Father. He will send them another advocate to be with them forever. We already spoke about that. So what am I doing here? I'm filling in all the gaps in the context that we can understand these commands, these phrases, the way we should. So Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8 is also relevant here. Let's look at that. 1, 4 through 8 says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And here's another command that they needed to make sure they understood in context. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Uh, okay, so this is all ringing true. Obviously, he's not talking about the Mosaic Law here. This has nothing to do with the Mosaic Law. This is what has to do with the information that he's been providing them for the church. So once again, on one occasion when he was in, this is after he was uh, crucified and after three days he was resurrected and then there was a period of 40 days that he was with the disciples. 40 days and one day, as it says, on one occasion he was eating with them and this is the command he gave them. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for, uh, for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And then he says it, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now this is interesting because the disciples still weren't seeing the new. They were still focused on, well, yes, I understand. Now, my theology, this is what happens next. Christ this is what he says. It is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now, the question they were asking was really, after the rapture, is this the time when they were like, Jesus was saying to them, no, you don't need to know the times. and the, That's later. You don't know how long the church age is going to be. Just let God work that out. When it's time for the rapture and it's time for uh, Israel... Uh, to go through the tribulation and then God to set up his kingdom, all that will come. So it's not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is 
This is literally his last words to them. After this, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid, hid him from their sight. So this is uh, important information, I would say. Uh, and obviously, uh, Ephesians, we're, we're going to go there, 2 and verse 20, those same disciples, plus 1, uh, was there was 11 there. Judas had already uh, departed. And the twelfth disciple is the Apostle Paul. Uh, or we should say now to replace Judas and the twelfth one is the Apostle Paul. So, so listen to 20 says that the church was built is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So in context, he's talking to the disciples and he tells them, if you follow my commands, this is going to be true of you. They became the foundation of the church through their obedience to Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commands. So it wasn't just about do what I say. I need you engaged on this one. Now in 16... We and 17, we <clears throat> we realize that the the disciples did turn the corner. They did finally understand. Jesus in 17 says, "I gave them the words that you gave me, and they have believed them. They accepted and they believed them. So they do turn the corner. So we can stop looking at them as idiots and dumb and all these things because it's not true." And the same struggles that they had to believe something new are the same struggles that we have to be objective and to believe new information when it comes from God. Even though it's demonstrated through signs, wonders, and various miracles. So last point here. Keeping his commands is equivalent then to executing the Father's plan. That's our way of making the application. If we were looking at what the result was, we saw this in context and how it applied to the disciples who became the apostles, the foundation of the church, and, and it pointed to Pentecost, which is the inauguration of the church. But for us, keeping his commands today would be tantamount to executing the Father's plan. Right? And out of love, not just, uh, you know, out of duty, but because we love him. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 5 and 10, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5. 5, 5 says, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So we have something, we've been fashioned especially for a particular purpose. And so this verse speaks of the dynamics that we have as a result of us being baptized by the Spirit. What Jesus said in his departing words to the disciples. So that's 5.5. Five. <clears throat> if we skip down to 10, 
it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Why do I cite this? Because it's important that we have a responsibility before God. Not just to obey him, but to come to love him and to execute his plan out of love. Now, to love the Father's plan means we have to understand it, we have to trust it, understand it, agree with it, and then we can come to love it. It's, loving it is also a choice. It's, it's not a, a natural result, but it is a commitment of ourselves, our whole selves, body, soul, and spirit, to the Father's plan. Just like Paul was determined to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. It was a commitment on Paul's part that drove him to accomplishing the Father's plan. Like it says in our closing verse in Ephesians 4.1, uh, it says this, As a prisoner of the Lord, for the Lord, then, I urge you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And I could, I could read how to do that, because he's be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. So w there's a lot more that could be said, but I want to make sure we understand this phrase as a part of the context. And that we see love as a choice. Not everyone will come to love. Uh, unfortunately, it is a choice. It's optional. Obviously, you, you can see what God's will for you is, is that you do come to love his plan. And to know this love, which goes beyond knowing, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So this is the love that we're talking about. So we'll continue next week with the next phrase in our context. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity of love that you called us. And, and this love that we have for you and your, for your will, purpose, and plan is something that we have the privilege of choosing for our lives while we're here on earth. We thank you for the calling and we pray for this church that we will come to the knowledge of the truth, that we will understand your will, purpose, and plan so that we can love it. We pray for not only our church, but all the, all the believers who are in the world today, that they'll come to the knowledge of the truth as well. All these we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, who blazed the trail for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.